0: Well, we're continuing on in the book of Romans. For those who are new here, I know there's not 26 chapters. This is part 26. We're taking a couple parts per chapter. And we're actually getting ready to get started in chapter 15 today. In the last chapter, Paul was discussing how Christians are to view other Christians. Specifically, we're not to judge or despise others nor hinder their actions for christ because right they're answering to god they're not answering to me i don't get to judge another man's ministry because quite frankly they're not working for me they're working for god and as long as they're not violating sin and they got the jesus part right i'm okay with them doing whatever they need to do for jesus as long as we're telling people about the same jesus then i'm okay with that And that makes it so that we can actually operate in a greater body. That means the Springs Church, who are great friends of ours, although they don't have quite the same theology, but none of it is heaven or hell theology. We believe in the same Jesus. We believe that he was the Son of God and that salvation only comes through him. If we got those parts correct, then we can work with other bodies. And we don't get to judge their ministry because they're going to have to answer to God. It's not me that gets to say, well done. It's Jesus, amen? Now, well, this chapter, he's going to reveal a third way how we're supposed to behave when interacting with Christians. And basically, this chapter is mainly dealing with selfishness. Now, I know nobody in this church has ever dealt with or partaked in selfishness. This is a great group of people here, and I know this is basically, we're just going through the motions because you guys know this stuff already, but... In case you didn't know, selfishness is pretty much the antithesis of Christianity. Christianity is the complete opposite of selfishness. They, they are our opposite sides of the coins. They actually don't even mix together. And the problem is, is that in this world, particularly I'm seeing it more and more every single day, that we're teaching selfishness as some sort of virtue in this country right? Because we tell people what? Look out for number one. We tell people, do whatever makes you happy. Have you ever heard that advice? That's dumb advice. I just want you to know right now, don't do whatever makes you happy. There's all kinds of stupid stuff that'll make you happy, that'll ruin your life, and you realize that actually didn't make me happy. It was a short time like this. and Now the rest of my life is ruined because I thought I was going to do whatever makes me happy. We tell people, make sure you get yours. Anybody ever heard that expression? And unfortunately, this, this attitude does spill over into the church, not this church. No, actually, probably this church, too. It spills over in all churches. Let's, let's be real for a second. Because the problem is that it spills over into my life at some times, and, and uh, I'm not unique, I'm not special, so I figure if I'm going through something, if I'm dealing with something, there's at least somebody else in the church that's dealing with it as well. And here's what it looks like in the church. Why is so and so being blessed and I'm not? Why did so and so get the promotion and I didn't? Why did so and so get the raise and I didn't? Or what about this when somebody comes in and and they don't live up to our perfect standard and ideals of what Christianity looks like, and we get frustrated with them because we think we have it all figured out. Somehow we're the one person on the planet that has the that has the uh, perfect interpretation of the scriptures and other people don't so we begin to look at how we haven't figured out how good we're doing selfishness does sleep sneak its way into the church but the reality is as church that we're supposed to follow the exams and christ was a serving man he served everyone he came into contact with us why i titled this portion of, of, of chapter 15 serving like jesus because jesus
1: was never selfish he always put others first He was the ultimate example of servanthood.
0: And his entire purpose was in serving us, so much so that he gave up his life for ours, so that we could have life. He gave his up. And our goal as Christians should be to serve him. Amen? Let's go ahead and get started. Verse 15. chapter 15 verse 1 says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we're going to break this down real quick. One, Paul considered himself as one of the strong when he's teaching these people. He considered himself as one of the strong. He says, we who are strong. And he says that Those who are strong have an obligation to bear younger Christians, newer Christians, immature Christians, and their failures. And this is a tough one. So the first thing we can say was, well, maybe he's not talking about me. Maybe I'm not one of the strong. But the truth is, if you're not a new believer and you have matured in your faith at least a little bit, then you fall into this category, at least to some extent. This means that you are to behave unselfishly. That means you're not to please yourselves. This goes in the, it flies in the face of everything you've been taught your entire life. But the truth is, as Christians, we're not to please ourselves, particularly if we are one of the strong. This means that we have to be willing to give up some of our rights, some of our liberties for the good of another. You See and this is a weird thing too, because as Christians, we understand that we do have many liberties in Christ. but Paul said many times, he told the Corinthian church, he tells the, the Roman Church that I would give up my liberties in order not to make another stumble. I would give up these things, because Paul realized that his goal in life wasn't to please himself, but rather to please Christ,
1: and he did so in serving others. It's just like any parent who's willing to sacrifice
0: for their children. All you parents in here, have you sacrificed for your children? I'm told that one day they grow up and realize this. Is this true? They, they come back at some point and they thank you for your sacrifice. That's what I've been told. I'm still waiting for that to, to work its way out. Hallelujah. But we're willing to sacrifice for our children. We're willing to give stuff up. Even though they can be stubborn. They can be obnoxious, not you, Ali, my other kids. They can be they can they can have problems, yet we still bear them. We still accept them. We still love them. We don't give up on them. We stand there for them. Just like any parent will stand unselfishly and sacrifice their children, Christians. The mature believer should be willing to sacrifice for the betterment of young believers, young Christians, those who are just coming in, those who maybe haven't got it all figured out yet. They're still learning this. You know, the thing is, is when you first get saved, it's not like there's some sort of holy brain dump of all the scriptures and everything, and you know everything. It takes time for you to learn the scriptures, to learn what Christ has to say about you. The truth is, mature believers, we should be coming alongside young believers and teaching them these things. Many of the reason that young believers don't grow is because many of us mature believers aren't willing to sacrifice and spend the time with them and disciple them and teach them and help them. It means giving up a Saturday and going to hang out with somebody. It means making sure that you're at the stuff that we set up for the Bible studies, and so we can you can be part of the discussions and helping those who are growing. You don't know, have questions. It means being a part of one another's lives more than just Sunday morning. You know, we're Called Living Hope Family Church. The truth is, is that we should act like a family.
1: Give each other a phone call every now and then. Be willing to sacrifice for one another. That means sometimes you might have to let someone use your truck and move. You're one of those
0: people that got the sticker on your your truck that says, "This is this is yes, this is my truck. No, I won't help you move." If you're a Christian, take that off. You're telling them the wrong thing. You should help them move. Even people you don't like, imagine if you showed them that kind of love, would you have the opportunity to share Christ with them in that moment? The reality is this is a common theme in the New Testament. You don't just find it here. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Now, I know none of us like to be patient in this microwave generation, but sometimes we've got to be patient with people. Ask my wife. She deals with me all the time. If she wasn't patient, we'd have a hard time. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means put up with one another. When somebody does something stupid, instead of kicking them while they're down, how about we encourage them, remind them who they are in Christ and help build them up. Philippians 2.3 is one of those I told you is becoming one of my favorite verses. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Man, if we would just treat others as more significant, more important than ourselves, if we put them for, imagine what this world would look like if we all did that. So what happens is is you get into a relationship and one person lives like that and the other one doesn't, you get into situations of abuse, you get into situations of people getting taken advantage of. But what if we all lived like that? What if it was a contest to see who could outserve one another, see who could do more for one another? Imagine what life would be like. And I realize this isn't a common theme in our culture. We often operate under this attitude of shape up and ship out. I know it's it's something that, in, in, in my job, we have people that work underneath us, and I, I get so frustrated with people that have been hired for a position, or I, I'll deal with vendors who are supposed to be experts in an area, and they're not. And they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I tell you, it's one thing, to be that way in your job. Because the truth is, is that you're hired for a purpose as a Christian. If you're an employee, you should do the work that you were hired to do, know the stuff that you're supposed to know. We should be the best workers. That, I don't, the truth is, if Christians were acting like they were supposed to, that would be the number one question on a, on a job application. Are you a Christian? If you are, you get moved to the top of the list. If we lived like we were supposed to in all areas of our lives. But the truth is, is the church is not your job. And we don't operate in a shape up or ship out mentality. We need to be willing to come alongside because some people take longer than others to mature in the faith. How many know that that's true? I know I've known people that got saved and their entire life, flipped upside down all at once. They dropped everything. And, and not only do they drop everything and, and, and start living uh, living uh, righteously, but they begin living wholeheartedly for God just as hard as they live for the world. And then there's people like me. It took me. Twenty years to get off the starting line thank god i finally got moving if you've been on the starting line for a long time there's hope for you you don't you don't have to stay there but the truth is is that we need to come alongside one another build each other up and we should think back in our lives to your initial struggles and your initial failures When you were a young Christian and you were having problems, were you condemned or were you encouraged? And how did that affect your walk with Christ? If you are encouraged, why would you not return the favor to somebody else? And if you were condemned,
1: ask yourself, did that help you to grow or did that push you away from Christ? Even being offended is an act of immaturity. Lord knows we get offended in the
0: church, don't we? one of the things that jesus preached about a lot was offense get offended at everything that's a sign of immaturity truth is is you're not going to like everything that i do i'm probably going to make you mad from time to time that's what happens in a family ask my sister i tick her off all the time we used to fight but you know what? we still loved each other the thing is about being in a family is is it's not what happens when the mistakes are made, because we're all going to make mistakes. The only person that's not going to let you down is Jesus. Your husband will let you down, your wife will let you down, your pastor will let you down, your teachers will let you down. Everybody will eventually let you down. The thing is is, what are you going to do when that happens? Do you come together and work through it, or do you get offended and storm off looking for that perfect church? And then when you find it, you mess it up because you showed up.
1: And I realize that living like this is often easier said than done man i remember when i was just training up under pastor mike and blake was really little and
0: he was in i want to say he was in that stage where like questions about everything you know you i finally came to a realization that when my mom would always say because i said she was being rude. It's not. It's because the kids just won't shut up. They just keep asking, and hey, you're just done. Because like, I said, it's, it's, it's not that you don't want to tell them, you're just tired. And I remember I was whining to Pastor Mike about how annoying Blake was being because I'm, I'm thinking this is my pastor, right? He's going to come alongside me, he's going to encourage me, he's going to
1: strengthen me. I expected sympathy. And instead, why don't you just start living like Jesus?
0: Instead he said, Why don't you go ahead and be there for your son and think about all the stupid stuff that you've done and Jesus has stayed right by your side and not gone complaining to his dad, but instead he stood by you and encouraged you and lifted you up. Pastor Mike, man, he's one that always got a verse messing up my when I when I need someone to to, to pit dwell with me, basically. Or I'm trying to make a funny joke and he always ruins it with Scripture. You ever met somebody like that trying to be funny and they start throwing out Scripture? Praise God. I love him, though. He's my father in the faith. He's why I'm here today. But he, he challenged me instead of, instead of basically enabling me. And sometimes you just have to take a, a, a
1: step back and a deep breath and just say, Lord, help me love him like you love him. Because if not, I'm going to kill him. Maybe I'm the only one that prays stuff like that. But
0: the truth is is that when you live like that, the outcome is growth and strengthening and maturity in a young believer. And one day they grow up and they learn from these things and they're able to do it for somebody else. Amen? And he goes on in verses 2 through 3, and he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build them up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So now he goes on to say that we're supposed to please our neighbor and build them up. And you might say, well, who is our neighbor? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what Jesus said about that. Luke 10, 29 to 37. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. You guys know the rest of the story, right? He gets left on the side of the road. The priests come through and they ignore him, but the Samaritan comes through. And takes care of him. And Jesus says in verse 36, which of these three do you think provided to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. This has always been an interesting story to me because we don't under, always understand the history between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's not like the people who live in Tucson and the people that live in Morana. It's not like we're just separated by name. These people hated each other. They were essentially enemies. So that means this man's enemy took care of him. And Jesus said, who do you think was his neighbor? Basically saying that even your enemy are your neighbor. He doesn't mean just your enemies. It's like from the people you like the least all the way on up to the people that you like the most. Those are your neighbors. Everybody is your neighbor. We're supposed to treat everybody like this. And this is in con- entirely in contrast to our nature without Jesus Christ. By nature, men are born selfish, only caring about themselves, and it takes a new life inside of them. It takes being made brand new to get out of that. But in Christ, we have the ability to put others first. It's just so often we allow that old man that should be dead and gone to try to sneak back into our lives. And this was the example that Jesus set for us because he came and put us all first above him, even ahead of his well-being, even ahead of ultimately his life. And it's not like he didn't know what was coming because he prayed in the garden and He, he blood came out of his pores. Because he was so stressed. It's not like he didn't know what was coming. It didn't come as a shock or a surprise to him, but he chose to put us
1: first. I can't get some people to wake up early to help somebody else, let alone give their life.
0: So, how do we do this? How do we put our neighbors
1: first? And a lot of it is super practical. First thing is you have to be available. When somebody calls, don't hit the, the hang up button. Even if you, it's one of those
0: people that you have to pray, Lord, help me see them like you see them. Answer the phone.
1: You have to be willing to do things that aren't convenient. And you have to see them as Christ does. I think that's the most
0: important thing. If you can't see them as Christ does, you're never going to get past that. I ask all the time for God to let me see with his eyes and feel with his heart. And you have to be there with a message for God for them. In other words, you can't console them the way that the world does. I once had a friend who, um, he was married and his wife had uh, was unfaithful with him. And obviously it was a difficult time for him. He was a Christian and she was supposed to be as well. And uh, uh, But she was unfaithful and... and he would go and talk to people, and every single one of the, uh, his friends that he worked with, his co-workers, they all told him that you should leave her. Now, I recognize that it is his, within his rights, and he wouldn't even have been sinning had he left her. But he he wanted to make it work, so when he came and talked to me, I said, man, he said he was going to go for it. I just encouraged him. I said, that's awesome that you would be able to do that, that you'd be able to sacrifice what you're going to have to, to make that up." And I was talking to him. I was the only one that encouraged him in that way. Every other person that he talked to said, leave and I
1: was blown away. Sometimes it means you're going to have to do stuff that's inconvenient to put others first. Sometimes it means that we're going to have to
0: tell them what God would do and how God would have them do something. That's one of the hardest things that I struggle with is, is people that are struggling in a marriage and continuing to encourage them to make it work, to get through the other side, because there's not the
1: stuff that they're going through is not easy. But we all make sacrifices if we're to live like Christ. We also have to be careful that we're giving them an encouraging word, too. It's
0: so easy to condemn people and tell them how they're screwing up. You know, one of the scriptures that people like to use is, is to 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 uh, speak the truth in love. Anybody ever heard somebody use that as, an ex- as a reason for somebody to tear somebody down? I just want to tell you this, Pastor. I'm just speaking the truth in love, but you're doing this, 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 this wrong. The truth is, speaking the truth in love is telling people that, hey, I know you're struggling right now, but in Christ, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. In Christ, you have strength.
1: When we speak the truth in love, it's telling them who they are in Christ, not telling them what they're doing wrong. It's not condemning them. Amen? We have to be willing to endure some stuff to make this happen too. and we're never
0: going to know the impact that standing up for somebody will make you never know beforehand how it's going to work out you never know if when you go and you stand there for them if you're going to get hurt you never know if you're going to to basically feel like you've invested all this time and nothing's ever come of it they're just not going with it they're not growing they're not moving or you never know if you're going to be the catalyst that helps Christ get a foothold in their life and you see change that you've never expected to change. you help them flower to, into the person that God intended them to be because you were willing there to stand alongside them and walk through them through the tough times. Truth is, are, are you gonna be the person that helps them grow or are you gonna be the person that holds them down either by intention or omission? continues on in verse 4 for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope the good news is is that we don't have to tackle this stuff under our own wisdom under our own knowledge because the bible is a pretty great resource if you didn't know that it's it's a great resource people always and many times tell me, man, that was a great message today, and I, I'm always weird about that because the reality is, is I just got great source material. If you started preaching out of the Bible, you'd be an amazing preacher too. I, it's, it's good stuff in there. The thing is, is that the, the Bible is written for our instruction. That's what he says. For whatever was written in former days, it was written for our instruction. Paul, like the Jews and like us, believe that the Bible is the word of God. And he also believed that it was written to teach us for our instruction. This is what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You ever not feel equipped for something God's calling you to do? Spend time in his word. The good news is, too, is that God doesn't change. When we read his word, we know that it's applicable today just as much as it was applicable thousands of years ago. Malachi 3.6 for I, the Lord, do not change. James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We know that God doesn't change. You can look anywhere in his word and you find out if if this is how God believes, if this is how God sees something, this is how he believes and sees it today. This is what he wants for our life today. We know that we can read his word from any time period and apply it to our lives today. And the scripture and what Paul is particularly dealing with here, he says that it's for our instruction through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures. We might have hope. What is he dealing with? He's dealing with not being selfish, with bearing up others' burdens. He's dealing with this idea. And if you go through the Scripture, we can we can see over and over again how God has moved in people's lives and how he was faithful. I think about David, who put Saul first so many times that I was beginning to think that David might be a little insane. because. David was trying to kill him at every turn, yet every time
1: <clears throat> pardon me, he comes in contact with David, he honors him because he's the Lord's ruler. And I'm like, what are
0: you doing? Why are you sacrificing? I mean, you could end your trouble right now. Instead, you cut off a little piece of his of his cloak, and then you're all upset about that. I'm like, are you insane? But we see how it comes out in the end that God was with him the whole time and he helped him to endure. And, and when you walk with God and you endure, his promises come to fruition
1: in your life. His promises aren't a, a maybe or an if. His promises are a win. You look at Esther who put her people first. When she walked into the throne room, Without permission,
0: she was either going to get invited in or killed, but she was willing to sacrifice whatever it took for her people.
1: Rahab, the prostitute, hid the spies. People come up looking for him, and she hid him up on the roof. She already had hiding spots ready. She'd done this before.
0: But she hid them at the, at the, the potential expense of her own life. She sacrificed for another. And we see how that turns out because we find out that the lineage of Jesus actually comes through her. These stories are in the Bible to encourage us that God will be there, that, that, that we would be encouraged by these scriptures, that we might have hope. When you're dealing with somebody and, and all you want to do is shake the Jesus into them, you can think that God is faithful and one day we're going to get through this. You guys are laughing. Don't tell me you've never wanted to shake the Jesus into somebody. Lord, let me be carnal for five
1: minutes. I'll take care of this. The truth is, is that God moves when we persevere, when we
0: endure, when we go ahead and and bear their burdens, and and we never know who they're going to grow up into, the impact that they're going to make.
1: I'm glad that someone endured with me. Because I wouldn't be here today if they wouldn't have. And he
0: continues on in verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that you together, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now I read this stuff in. And I don't know about you guys, but this kind of stuff makes me laugh because I look at this as, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. The reason this makes me laugh is because, did you know that living in harmony with one another takes God? Like, we can't do it on ourselves. Some of you guys are, I mean, I'm so awful that it takes God for you guys to live in harmony with me. It makes me laugh. Like, we need Jesus to be able to deal with one another. And I don't know if it's because of the difficulty of others or our own stubbornness, but we
1: do need God's help. And we need encouragement because the truth is, enduring is hard. It's difficult. But we persevere because we're expecting the promises
0: of God to be fulfilled that's like we song that we sang this morning you've never failed me yet my son and a, my son hates that song because when i grew up that expression you haven't failed me yet wasn't an indication that failure was coming that was an expression saying that failure wasn't going to come it hasn't happened yet so we don't expect it to happen but when he works through the words he, he sees he feels like it's an expectation of failure you haven't failed me yet that means that you haven't done it yet but someday you will and i'm like no son that's That's not what that phrase means. That means that that, that based on experience, we can know that he's never going to fail us because he's never done it, and he's not going to. We know that his promises are going to come to fruition because he's never failed us, and he's not going to start now. And we're encouraged because his word promises that. And then Paul's praying that we'd be in one mind, that we'd be in unity with one voice glorifying God, that we'd come together because disunity and disagreement do not glorify God. How many of you know that? When we operate in disunity, that that means we're not glorifying God. The truth is, is that when we act this way, we're actually robbing God of his glory because people from the outside look in and go, why would I want to be a part of that? looks like it's just as bad as the outside world except for they have more rules they have to feel guiltier why would i want to be part of that
1: and when we're at odds with one another we're certainly not effective in this world so paul implores us to accept one another just as christ has welcomed them
0: and in this case paul's speaking to the Jews, asking them to accept the Gentiles and vice versa. And today, we need to be accepting of one another as well. And our acceptance is not based on status, what kind of job did we have, what kind of clothes did we wear. It's not based on any of those things, wealth or a person's past. It's based on what Christ has accomplished for them. Our acceptance is based on the fact that Jesus accepted them, so why shouldn't we? And if we can't welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed us with all of our flaws and failures, because I don't know about you guys, I've never per- met a person that they got everything figured out, then went and met Jesus. Because the problem is, is we can't get it all figured out on our own. So we can't get right with God. Why when people laugh and say, oh, no, I don't want to go to church yet, I got I to gotta figure some things out first. Like, Why don't you come to church and figure them out? It'll be a whole lot
1: easier. thing is, is that if Christ hasn't moved inside of us to be different, then what makes what we have appealing?
0: But when we accept Christ, something has happened inside of us, it's changed us. We're not who we used to be. Second Corinthians five seventeen says that we're new creations, we're brand new. It's not the old person with the fresh coat of paint, it's brand new. And if He hasn't moved us to be different, then do we really grasp what has been accomplished inside of us? Do we really, have we really taken stock of the, the forgiveness, the acceptance that we've been given by Christ? Because the truth is, is that you know more about your failures and your shortcomings and your, fraud, and your flaws than anybody else around
1: you. Yet God has still accepted you just the way you were.
0: And then Paul's going to go into the next few verses pointing out And reiterating what Christ's service to the Gentiles actually looked like. In verse 8-12 through it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, sing to your name, and again, has said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his hope. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. The reality is, is that God has endured our maturity or immaturity at a much greater level and at a much greater length of time than any of us will ever experience with another individual yet he still had a plan for us. And by us, I mean the Gentiles. He still had something going for us. We weren't excluded. It's funny, I remember reading about this and and I was always torn by about how the Gentiles were let in. Because on one hand, I was like, don't argue, this is a good deal, just take it. It doesn't matter how it happened. He said the Gentiles were allowed in. But on the other hand, I was like, but we're like chopped liver, we're like second rate. Why did we... We were like the Gentiles weren't figuring it out, so I guess we'll let them in too. And that's and there was a part of me like I wasn't always mature, y'all. Just so y'all know, <laughs> there was there was a part of me that had to grow and learn in this stuff as well. And then I realized that no way this was always God's plan. The Jews rejecting Jesus was the avenue in which the Gentiles were brought in. But the truth is, the plan was always for the Gentiles to be included. Matter of fact, the 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 Israelites were actually supposed to be ministering and, and, and proselytizing and sharing with others to bring them into the fold. There
1: was always the plan of God for the Gentiles to be included. God has always had a plan for us to be included. And Paul is quoting Scripture here to, to show that the Gentiles
0: have been accepted by God. He's showing that Jesus did endure much to ensure that the Gentiles would glorify God. And Paul continues to support that these scriptures are actually written for our instruction so that, that we could learn something today. Scripture actually supports the Gentile inclusion, not their exclusion. And he goes on to quote some amazing scriptures, and I actually love the progression of these scriptures that he uses as well. He says, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. First we see the Jews are praising in the midst of the Gentiles. And then he goes on, and again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So now first we have the Jews praising among the Gentiles, and now we have the Gentiles rejoicing with the Jews. And then he says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. Then we have them praising again, and then finally, and again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles in him, with well, the Gentiles hope. So we go with the, the Jews praising with the Gentiles, and then we have the Gentiles rejoicing with the Jews, and then we have the Gentiles praising with the Jews, and finally we have the Jews and Gentiles being ruled by the same person, which is Jesus Christ. It's amazing to see God move. Because in Him, in Christ, both the Jews and the Gentiles hope, it's the only place that we find hope. And these aren't the only places that you'll find that the Gentiles are are always part of God's plan for salvation. If you want a good Bible study, spend some time looking for where the Gentiles were mentioned, even before Christ came. This wasn't something that was that was just like God's like I have an idea. Let's go ahead and let them in. It's amazing that this was always God's plan. We actually weren't chopped liver. We actually weren't second rate. God has had a plan for all of us, and we'll go ahead and fin you. Finish. I don't know even where Finn you came from. We're going to finish in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound
1: in hope. It's interesting to me that with all the gods the pagan religions had,
0: And this is from the Assyrians all the way to the Greek and the Romans. There was the God of war, gods of industry, gods of agriculture, gods of city, gods of towns, and various others. But there was never a God of hope in any of these other
1: religions. And the reality is is that this is true even in our culture because hope has been long abandoned by so many. You know, one of the things that I often pray is to see people
0: how God sees them. Because when I look out there, I realize that there are so many people walking around without any hope. Some realize it, some don't. They're looking for something. And they spend all of their time and money being poured into things that will never satisfy. That will never fill the void that they're trying to fill. That will never make them them whole. They're looking for hope and they can't find it anywhere.
1: But what we have is so incredible. We have hope in Christ. And there is a tangible need for that in our city. And we have it. And it's our responsibility to share that. Because it's in our believing upon Him that we find joy and peace. And as a result, we abound in hope. According to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, church, we are so blessed to be called children of God. You know, one of the things that drives
0: me crazy, and you'll see it all the time, is people say we're all children of God. And that's not the truth. That's not what the Scripture says. It's true that we're all created by God, but we're not all children of God. It's those who believe on Jesus have been given the right to be called children of God. And we are so blessed to be children of God. And we're so blessed that even now, Even those of us who have matured quite a bit, God is still patient with us.
1: Because I should have given plenty of time to be so. You know, I think we should all live in this way that Paul's describing. That we would not be
0: selfish. That we would walk alongside others. Those who are struggling, those who are young, let's help build them up.
1: Let us live patiently with one another. Encouraging one another. And most importantly, let's consider everyone else is more important than ourselves. Church, I want to challenge you. Let's live like Jesus. Amen? Let's be a servant to all.